at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that Bible. Uh, you read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, uh, hey, turn in your Bible to the last book of the Bible. And uh, we're in the book of Revelation as we continue our series on. If you're gathered with us at the Lompoc campus, welcome. Uh, we are, are one church in a couple locations, and we're so glad that you're gathered. Maybe you didn't realize that right now there are people gathered together, and they are connected to us through technology, and we are um, joined together and one body and uh, we're so glad that you're joining us. I'm so thankful for Pastor Tyler and Becca, who we stole this morning, and uh, she did an amazing job in worship, and, and so thankful for Zach and all that God is doing uh, around the church. So thankful uh, for those gathered together. If you're gathered online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, let me encourage you, if you're local and you live close by, uh, come be in person. Use the, the online campus supplementally. Uh, you know, I know there's some uh, that are sick, uh, uh, Roger and Bev, hey, we're praying for you. I saw that on there. Uh, we're praying for healing for you. Hope you feel better soon. Uh, but if you're in uh, the area, get here as much as possible because life is better together. Amen? Amen. Hey, look at this passage in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're only going to deal with six verses today, but I want you to keep your Bibles open. There's different things, and as we go through this, and especially as we get deeper into the book of Revelation, you're going to look certain words and phrases that we're going to have to dive deeper in in order to understand the full context that's before us. So uh, look at chapter 3, the book of Revelation. Again, it's the, if you're new to the Bible, you can just start in the right turn left. You're going to find it. First book there. And I want you to take a look at the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 and it says this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you ha still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that you've left for us this book, this revelation that you gave John. And I pray that uh, there's a blessing in this book that says, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy aloud. And not only just hear it, but actually keep it and do it. And live out what they hear. And let us be those uh, that aren't just hearers only, but doers of the word of God. Help us bring glory to you. And good to this valley. And everyone said, 
Amen. Let me catch you up real quick. This book has a lot of fame. It has a lot of notoriety. People talk about it. If you watch any bit of the History Channel, if you watch any pop culture movie, the book of Revelation, if you are to listen to the number one podcast in the world, and for the sake of, of uh, discretion, I won't say what podcaster it is. We'll just call him Joe. And uh, if you were to listen to any of that at any time, you're going to hear the book of Revelation come up, and people have a lot of things to say about this particular book. And we're three chapters in, and and here's where we're at. The opening of the book, it starts, and if you look at verse 1 of the book of Revelation, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And structure is the key to meaning, and right off the bat, we see what this book is all about. It's all about... Oh, that was terrible. Uh, I'm going to have to get some mics pumped in from the Lompoc campus because that was pathetic. Thank you, Lompoc. I know you're with me. Uh, But this book is all about... Much better. Uh, This book is all about Jesus, just like every other book. It is to reveal to us, I got got news for you, this book is not primarily about you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's not primarily about you, it's to you, and it's for your good, but it is about the person of Jesus. This book is about Jesus, and the opening parts of this book tell us this. This is the revelation or uncovering, unveiling of the person of Jesus. So when I read it, I look for Jesus. That's in the first chapter, that's in the second chapter, and here's, here's this vision that John has, and John has a vision of the risen Christ in glory, and he says, hey, John, I want you to write a letter to the seven churches of Asia, actual churches. They become many epistles, much like uh, as we scroll through the New Testament, we read 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians, or, or we read all of these books the, to the Ephesians. The, these are more robust, and these are from the intellect and wisdom, and they are inspired. Uh, they are from the Apostle Paul. They're from Peter, writes uh, epistles that we read. But in this particular uh, book, this is n- not through the lens of an apostle. This is an actual revelation direct from the risen Christ who gives to John, and he says, write these words. This is a message from Jesus Christ. And we go through these different churches, and we get to this particular church, the church at Sardis. This is a a city just uh, in uh, really east of Thyatira. Thyatira is on the coast. It's just inland, and it's on a trade route for all of uh, this particular area in Asia. It it is a uh, significant city. Things run through this city. There's a lot of trade. There's a lot of prestige in this particular city, and there's a church there. And, And Jesus has a message for this church. And he writes this, he says, to the angel of the church of Sardis write. Now, uh, for those of you who have not been here with us, we've kind of been wrestling with this interpretation to the angel at the church in Sardis. Is there an actual angel, a guardian angel over this church? Maybe. Quite frankly, there could be. The Bible talks about ministering angels, that that there is an army of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and there's a spirit world just beyond the veil of our senses, and there could be an angel, but I think more likely what he's writing here is the personification of this church, like to the spirit of the church in uh, in Sardis, write these words. He's not giving a rebuke. Some people think it could be a pastor that the angel. And let me tell you, I I, I like to think that 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 pastors are angels, but I'm not going to claim that. But if you want to put that title on me, 
right? Like, like uh, there, there's a couple ways to interpret it, but we don't want to get caught up too much in the details and miss the grand report. He says, write these words to this church. And he gives a vision of who he is. He says, this comes from the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, he, we're not suggesting that there are seven spirits of God. This is a way in which in this particular uh, form of writing, this genre, this is symbolic. He's essentially saying the fullness. Seven is a, is a number for completion or fullness. And so he's saying the one who has the fullness of God, and he is the one who gives the gift. This, this is him saying that I have given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we remember the words of Jesus in the Gospels where he says, listen, I'm going to go away, and, and I'm going to send you a comforter. It's better that I go away. But I'm going to send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you the fullness of God in spirit with us. And he says, so Jesus says, I'm the one who has the fullness of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and I'm the one who holds the churches, the seven stars. In the opening chapter, he reveals to us that these seven stars are the seven churches. So in other words, as I piece that together, he's saying he's the one with the power and authority. He is the chief leader of the church. He is the one who is given the gift of the Spirit, and he is the one who holds the church together. Colossians says he is the head of the church. Christ is the firstborn among the dead. He is the one who is in charge. Someone say amen to that. At the end of the day, a pastor's not in charge. Amen? Amen. Elders and deacons and leaders, the person of Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of the church. And this is who we submit to. And so, and so when you wrestle, what you, have to, what you have to wrestle through are the words of a pastor, a fallen man, a sinful man, uh, leaders who are going to get it wrong, they're going to hurt you, and, 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 and they're going to bother you, and they're going to frustrate you. Amen. Amen. I don't want a trick, right? Like, like they're going to frustrate you. But the leader of the church is the person of Jesus. And so when he says something to the church, now he's writing specifically to this church, but there's much for us to gain from what he says. And that's what we have to be careful with is what we talked about last week is you're not in every text. It's so quick that we, we want to be in every text. We watch a movie and find out which one am I in the movie, and, and usually you're the hero. So, sometimes you're the one who's down and out, but at the end, you're going to be on stage, and you're going to get the solo. Amen. Some of you need to sing so low that nobody can hear you, but um, sometimes I weigh out the joke. It's either true or funny, and sometimes both. And... And yet, uh, what, we, what we have here is Jesus speaking to the church, and yet it's the church in Sardis, and there are things that we can glean from. And so, in particular, uh, there's some things that I'm going to bring up, but we have to be careful. So let me, let me give you the rundown of what he says to this particular church, and then we're going to talk about how we can relate to that. Maybe how this applies to the church at large, what we see across uh, the globe, in our country, in our communities, how that impacts the local church, and, and maybe we need to particularly think about how that affects us as individuals. And so he he quickly says to them, I know your works and you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. What a charge. Uh, This is is actually, besides the caveat that he gives at the end, this is the only, uh, really the letter where there's no commendation to them. There's no, hey, I've seen this and you've done good works, but I have this against you, like we read in Ephesus. Hey, I saw that you did good here and you did good there, but hey, I have some things against you. He doesn't say any of that. He says, you know what? You got a reputation. Now, the word reputation in the Greek here is also synonymous for a name. Like you have a name for it, right? People know your name and here's what they know you for. They know you for having a reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. And what a charge that he gives against this church. 
And particularly in Sardis, there was actually, archaeology would tell us that there was a synagogue that, that was one of the largest of its kind in the ancient world. This was a significant place for Jewish people to worship. And just like what happens in any religious and political setting, sometimes the church and the politics and the, and the social climate of the day all begin to mix together. And it's the who's who and how you do things and, and oh yeah, I do business with so-and-so because I see them at the synagogue. They, they put on their best and they make sure that everyone sees them in a positive light. We want to hold our name and our reputation. And so Sardis was that church. Sardis was this church that they were known for good works. And yet Jesus says, no, I see you. And everybody else might see something on the surface, but I see you. You have a reputation. What a, what a claim from Jesus himself to this church. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Man, what a gut-wrenching charge. And something for us to see, to see right off the bat. Not just who Sardis is, but who Jesus is as he's talking to the church. That Jesus is the one who sees He sees beyond the surface. He's the one who looks on the intent of the heart. Uh, Men, the scriptures tell us in in Hebrews that the word is quick and sharp and powerful. and, And it pierces. And it goes into the very intents of the intentions of the heart. And it pierces and divides and causes us to realize. That's why when, when we hear the word of God that's revealed to us through the person of Jesus, it's as if sometimes it cuts. Now the caveat is, is, is sometimes people use the word of God like a dull spoon doing surgery. You ever had a Christian give you a word or say something? And a lot of people who have what we call, it's become uh, this uh, kind of hot button word, church hurt or things. It's because somebody's used something that is true or something that they intended to be good in order to remove something from someone's life. But yet it was done in such a way that it wasn't quick and sharp and powerful like a surgeon who's trying to help. Even though the same is going to have There's going to be pain in either instance, but one is going to cause lasting damage and one is going to be used for lasting wholeness. Are you with me? So Christ is the one. Let me tell you that, that you, you are to be careful. And that's why God brings a charge on those who teach will be judged more harsh. So be careful when you're wielding the word of God. And so be careful because Jesus is a good physician, friend. He's one who wants to deal with the issue, and he wants to do it with a sharp, quick, and powerful sword, ultimately for your good. Someone say amen to that. So that's what he's doing with Sardis. He's saying, listen, I I have, I I gotta tell you this. You're known for being alive, but man, this church is like a weekend at Bernie's, friend. All right? How old are you people? Like, like, like from a distance, uh, man, they, 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 they look as though they are alive. But when you get up close and you investigate this thing, man, they're just being held together. They're going through the motions. They're being propped up by their works, for their deeds, their Sunday school activities. And they're not alive. They are actually dead. And here's what he says. Wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of God. And what does he mean by works complete in the sight of God? I think there's a tension that we have to wrestle with because we're not saved by works, least anyone should boast. We're saved by grace, which is unmerited, undeserved favor from God. And yet, there is still things to be done, a response to what is given. And see, they're doing works, but somehow their works are not complete. They're dead works, as the New Testament would tell us. And yet, faith without works is also dead. There's this tension to manage, not a problem to solve. The theologian Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. 
Let me say it again. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Meaning when you read this book, when you hear the words of God, when God convicts you, when the Holy Spirit begins to pierce your heart, do you feel as though you are responding to something or are you trying to pay something off? Are, in other words, are you reading this as a receipt or are you reading it as an invoice? You know, you know the difference, right? When you get that bill in the mail and it's like, I owe what? Right? And then you go through, oh, okay. No, no, no. We already taken care of that. The bill has been paid in full. There's a different reaction to that. And here's, here's what we have to realize. This works isn't about paying something off, but it is responding with good works. And so then the question is, what does complete works mean. Now, theologians debate on, on, and they speculate on what he's talking to Sardis about. One theologian would suggest that they weren't witnessing to the city, and, and I, I think that's one thing. You, you could kind of uh, speculate and, and, and kind of suggest into the text, but the text doesn't really leave us, in this particular text, a clear way to interpret what complete works. But there are some things in the New Testament uh, that talk about maturity, be whole, be, be one and whole and mature. The word in the Greek that we translate most of our book is be perfect as I am perfect. Or in other words, complete. Uh, meaning that the inside matches the outside. Meaning that when I do a work that is an outward expression, that it actually, I can trace it back to the reason for which I'm doing it. Now think about what 1 Corinthians 13 suggests. This great passage that we read on love. Usually we skip the first part of 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, or 14, 1 through 3, and we go straight to the love part. Love is patient. Love is kind. But you know, it comes right before this, this fantastic kind of intro after he talks about the church and doing good works and even the body coming together in chapter 12 and, and, and the manifest presence of God through charismatic gifts. And then he gets to chapter 13 and he says, listen, you can speak with the tongues of men and with the tongues of angels, but if you have not love, you're like a clanging gong and a, and a clashing cymbal. He says, you, you can do this work and you can feed the poor and, and you, can, you can clothe those who need clothes, you, you can care for the homeless, you can help the hurting, but if you don't have love, it means Nothing. How many of you are familiar with this passage? But it doesn't stop there. It even goes on to say, you could be a martyr. Man, talk, talk about the, the high call. I'm going to quote in just a bit Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a martyr of the church in Nazi Germany, who is one of our most famous modern theologians and martyrs. And yet martyrdom... Fox's Book of Martyrs and the stories of martyrs get put on the top works and, and, and instantly, you know, that we tend to do that whether or not they've been martyred or not. But in death, we begin to memorialize people. We begin to, I, I, I pray that none of us have to lie at your memorial service. Somebody say amen to that. We, we memorialize, we we begin to remove some of the flaws. And yet, 1 Corinthians doesn't do that at all. He literally says, you could be a mart. You could offer your body to be burned. But if you don't do it for the right reason, if your motivation is to be seen or to get a name or a reputation, if it's glory for you rather than glory for him, then that's not complete. That's a dead work. And in the sight of God, it is meaningless. You may be able to fool everybody else. He says, sorry, you may, they may know you all over the region for your works. They may know you all over the country for your works. They may know you on television. They may know you on all social media. They may know you. But if it's not done from a pure motivation, well, how do we know, Pastor Sam? That's between you and God. For who judges the heart except the one who knows the heart? And we can look at the fruit that remains. 
We're not called to judge people's hearts. That is for the judge only who sees the heart. But we have to be careful that we're able to pontificate and speculate on everyone else's heart and yet not before the Lord recognize that our works are done in vain if they're not complete in the sight of God. He says to this church, he says, man, your works, they're incomplete in the sight of God. And then he gives them this charge. He, he gives them a way to change things. He says, remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know the hour I will come against you. He's not talking about his eschatological end. He's not talking about the end of all things. He's not talking about coming in his second coming. He's specifically saying to this church, I will show up and I will take charge of my church and I'll come and you will not know and it'll be be like a thief and then he says this he gives a caveat he says but there are a few of you there are a few of you yet you still have a few names notice that he continues to use the word name he uses the word name when he talks about the reputation And then he says, but there are still a few names of people. He's saying, I I really know you. They know your name. I know your heart. People know your reputation, but I know the inner workings of you inside. And I know there's a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. What a statement. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Let the person who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, don't be close. Listen, like, don't hit snooze on the alarm that is going off. And this is where we begin to leap from Sardis. Sardis had a correction. Sardis had a word from God, and they had an ability. They had a a wake-up call, if you will. And yet, we don't know all the ins and outs of if Sardis repented. But here's what we can begin to remove from it. Here's what we can go from their world to our world. And we have wrestle with this. The first thing that we need to wrestle with in our context is are we more concerned with our reputation than actually being righteous? Are we more concerned with being reputable and relevant or are we concerned with being righteous? Now the word righteous and we get this, this tension between those who feel they're holier than thou or righteous, but a deep heart and a conviction, the motives of I want to be in right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. Or in other words, do I want to be right with the world and the culture and the standards of this world, or do I want to be right with the one who holds the world in his hand? I gotta wrestle with the tension between the two. Yeah, we're caught up that in the church world all the time, aren't we? Man, I, 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 I have these, uh, I was reminded of these magazines I used to get years ago. They're called Relevant Magazine. And Relevant Magazine was like a, a youth uh, teen, as a, as a youth pastor and uh, as a intern back in the day. Man, I loved Relevant Magazine. And, and as a young guy, I, I thought, man, that's exactly what the church needs to be. We need to be relevant with Martin Scorsese's picture on the front of our Christian magazine. <laughs> And, and, and any celebrity that we could get. I, I didn't realize, I thought it was so cool, man, we're a Christian magazine, and we got all these celebrities on it. We're so cool. We're so relevant. Right, and these, and these, uh, these, these magazines, for a long time, I didn't realize, it, it was actually through COVID and the pandemic, and when I realized that all of a sudden we were so concerned with reputation, we had no consideration for righteousness. 
All of a sudden, the standard, because it will shift, right? There'll, there'll be a way, and churches have to wrestle with this tension, is we want people to come, and, and, and we, we want you to like us. And can I tell you that I really want you to like me? <laughs> I do. I have a need for it. But more than you like me, I, I have a mandate before God to be helpful to your soul. Man, there's this tension that I have to go, man, I want, I want to be relevant, but I, but I also want to preach repentance. And see, this is the, where the rubber meets the road with the American church. We've been guilty of this. We've been guilty as Sardis was. With, we're known for it. We're known uh, for, for, for things that are well. And then, but when you get beyond it, when, when, when you get up close, when you get behind the scenes, there's corruption and there's decay. And what I saw there at first, you know what it's like? It's like, um, it's like seeing a cute baby. There's some cute babies running around. Right? I've seen some new ones. I love it. How many of you like, oh, oh, give me. I saw this happen to Pastor uh, Tyler B. the other day with Veronica and their little one. Uh, she's like, hey, could you get Banksy? Uh, could, could you get Banks, their, their little one? And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, hey. And he grabs her like, whoa, what is that? You didn't tell me you had a poopy diaper. Right? How many of you have been like, oh, give me that baby. This is such a cute baby. And then you're like, oh, my, oh, my. Oh my, that, I I want, you can have him back, right? Like, uh, especially if it's not your kid, right? They're cute. You hand them back to mom, dad, you change the diaper, then I'll I'll be, I'll I'll hold them all you want, right? Now, 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 now picture this, Uh, find yourselves at the Met Gala, find yourselves at the Grammys, find yourself at the Golden Globes, find yourself at the ritziest and most prestigious, find yourself at the White House, find yourself in the presence of royalty in England, find yourself with the royal family, and then all of a sudden you spot the most handsome and strapping of men. Uh, he's probably a little shorter than you initially imagined. He probably has a beard. And uh, no, imagine tall, dark, and handsome. Imagine a tuxedo dress to the nines. And from a distance, you're like, oh my gosh, I think that's Brad Pitt, right? <laughs> like, like, man, that, that is a handsome, strapping gentleman. And when you get close to him, you're like, what is that smell? <laughs> what? It doesn't it make sense, but all of a sudden you're looking, you got a tuxedo on, you're, 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 uh, you're dressed to the nines, you're in the presence of royalty, and all of a sudden you're like, babe, listen, I think that dude himself. Now you get mad at me for suggesting that, but you filled in the blank all in your mind, on your own, right? Like you're thinking, I, I, think, I think he soiled himself. You're like, no, there's no way. Do you know who that is? Do you know how good looking that person is? Do you know what they were wearing? I bet that's a $10,000 tuxedo. Man, I, there is no way. No, no. Oh, Yeah. And that's essentially where we can find ourselves as individuals and as people who claim to be Christ in name only. Those who claim to be Christians. And this is the issue and the conflict with us trying to reach the world is from a distance. They're like, man, I want to be a part of that. And then they get up close and there's some of us who have soiled ourselves. And we're Christian in name only. And on the inside, there's decay. He's going, no, no, no. Listen, I I love you. And there's a warning sign. It's as if we've all fallen asleep. It's as if those in the church have fallen asleep and they're not waking up and they've wetted the bed and there's a fire going off. And the alarm is sounding. Get up! Get out of your slumber! You have spiritual lethargy. You're snoozing. You're hitting the snooze. And the Spirit of God is saying to you, stop 
faking it. Stop claiming in name only, in reputation. See, the problem with this type of magazine is we're constantly looking for reputation. What is it about the church that we want to be associated with celebrity? We want to be associated with the popular. We want to say, man, we're cool, real relevant. They, the moment a celebrity says the thing that we want to hear back to us out of their mouth, we're like, that's our guy. Whoo. And we want association, and yet this is not salvation by association, friend. Salvation does not come with your association to the church or to a pastor. It comes through your devotion to the one who died in your place and offers grace through repentance that you would change the way you think and realize that this world is not your home. And what you can buy and what you can gain and what you can be associated to and what will be popular is not going to gain you anything. And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Grace is free to you, but it is costly. It was bought with a price, with the blood of Jesus Christ, who has given you a way. In this passage, the good news is that Jesus is sounding the alarm. Could you imagine sleeping in your bed and outside there's a storm? There's a tornado a mile away and it's gonna rip you and everything you have away. And the alarm is going off. Sirens through the town are going off. Oh, woe to the one who would wake up and hear the word and go, what is that? Man, I'm not worried about it. I'll just go back to sleep. And with soiled sheets and a lazy spirit, we say, God, even in your grace and your warning, even in you saying repent, we'll keep going on because we have a good reputation. I'm not like them. I got a good name. Most people think I'm a good person. People, people, people like me. I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. He says, wake up. Repent. Remember what you've heard. Remember what you've received. That's why we come here every week and we look at the scriptures. We're being reminded of what he said. We're being reminded of what he has for us. What you've received is grace bought with a price and it was costly and it comes through repentance. Repentance is to change the way you think so that you do something different. You have to change the way you think that your association with others, that your popularity, your good works, all the things that you can do to try to achieve and grow are meaningless and worthless. That it is only through trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus. The New Testament will say there's a form of godliness that we can have, but denying the power of the Spirit. And the power is through the cross of Jesus Christ and you receiving grace and in the empowerment of the Spirit. You know, I find it interesting when people uh, find themselves in a difficult situation. I've found myself in difficult situations over the years. When people find themselves in, in, in a place where their reputation has been tarnished, where they've made some mistakes, and they say, I gotta get back in church. You ever come across and they're like, man, I got to get back in church. Friend, I love you and I'm glad you're here. And I've felt like that before. But your association with the church has no power to actually transform your life. 
There are a lot of people who go to church. And there are a lot of people who are a mess in church. Glory to God. Thank God. We're all here together. And yet, your association with the pastor, I love you. But if your kudos is that you're friends with the pastor, you know the pastor. Sam knows my name. Tyler knows my name. The other Tyler knows my name. If that brings you any sense of righteousness, it is self-righteousness. And the Bible calls it like filthy rags. It's soiled. What you need, friend, is the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. The one you need is the one who has the power of the Spirit of God to transform you, not just on the outside so that it's in name only, but from the inside out. The Holy Spirit of God can change your life and transform you and take you from wretched to whole. How many of you have had that story in your life? Amen. And my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you would wake up, you would repent. And this is what I want to be for you. Is I want to be a pastor who's not a guru, but a guide for you and say, listen, man, you've got to wake up, you've got to repent. You've got to change the way you think. Listen, we've, we've become churches that are consumeristic and we do not preach repentance because repentance will cost you. Eugene Peterson says a consumer church is an antichrist church. A consumer church is a church without Christ. Because what we see in this passage in Sardis is the goodness of God who leads people to repent. The goodness, the gospel in this passage is that Jesus is sounding the alarm. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Strengthen yourself. Come on. There's a way out. I've made a way of escape. He contrasts. He says, there's some. Here's what you got to realize that is there's a difference between the corporate and the individual. And yes, the church is a big part of us moving together, but God looks on the heart of the individual. That's why he says, there are a few among you. He doesn't lump everybody in Sardis together, but he says, hey, for those of you, you know who you are. And maybe in this message, this pierces. It convicts. Let conviction move you forward towards the person of Jesus because it's in his grace that he would call you to repentance. The alarm is good news. The alarm is sounding. Wake up. Don't hit snooze. Don't continue in your slumber. Repent. Change. He says there are some, and this is where he divides it, because it's not salvation by association. He says there's some, and I know their name. They've not soiled themselves. And I'm going to dress them in white robes. He gives this hope. He says to those, let me show you. Meaning that you can find people around, that there's always going to be good people right in the midst you can find somebody. It's not, oh man, that church, they're so bad. No, 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 there's a few names over there. There's people, God has people. His church from all places with all different faces and he's gonna bring them together and he's gonna dress them not because you're associated with one particular church but because you have come to the foot of the cross through the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, those people, I know their name. And I'm going to put them in a name, in a book. I'm going to put their name in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And I will never remove it. And I'm going to dress you in white. And we together will walk. He gives a garden scene. He says, this is the goal. 
You've been asleep, but I want to walk with you. You've been lethargic, but I want to run with you, friend. Listen, I got a garden for you. I got a new place for you. I got a new life for you. I want to be with you. I want to speak to you. I know you, not just in name only. I know your hearts. I knew every hair you used to have. I know you. I want to be with you. But you got to wake up. This is the invitation. This is the good news. You don't have to stay in your sin. You can come to Jesus, and this is what will be contagious. You go, man, man, if we're dogmatic, we're repentance, we actually preach that you have to turn away from your sin and pursue righteousness, we'll lose the world. No! The world can smell the stench of sin. And many of them have already gone nose blind to it. And they live in it. But the New Testament tells us those who are in Christ, we put off an aroma, the aroma of Christ. It's like the, the, the smell of fresh bread baking in the oven. Some people are like, man, what are they cooking over there? All of a sudden, the barbecue pit's going, and people from the neighborhood are like, man, I, I kind of want to be friends with those people. <laughs> there comes a point when you're walking with Jesus, you can't help. You ever hug the, the, the old man who has the most amazing cologne and it just gets on you? That was Dr. Gillum for me, a mentor. Man, I just wanted to hug him because what he, what he smelled like was going to get off on me and I knew I couldn't afford the cologne he used. <laughs> I was like, come here, I'm going to go on a date with my wife. I'm going to go give Dr. Gillum a hug. <laughs> right? Like he just smelled good. I just wanted what he had on me. That's what it's like. You walk with Jesus, you get around Jesus, and he gets on you, and it is the aroma of Christ. Those who are living righteous, full of the presence of the Spirit, joy and peace. And let me tell you, you will be far more relevant and contagious to those who are lost and in need of a Savior. Will you bow your heads with me? Every head bow with every eye closed. Pastor Tyler at the Lompo campus, if you could just come on stage, I'll give you a moment to get there. And there's, there's some people in in the room here at the Buellton campus and at the Lompoc campus that you've, you've heard a message of cheap grace, of easy believism. Yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm not something else. But you've never repented. You've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need saving. Fill me with your spirit that I may... No longer be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, where I'll truly find life. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if that's you here today, you say, Pastor Sam, will you help me? Here's what I want to do. I want to help you say a prayer. This prayer isn't magical. You know that people all over the country and all over the globe, pastors have manipulated people in a room to say a prayer, an easy prayer that gets them out of repentance and confession and moving forward in their walk. And they feel as though they have a false sense of security because they thought they got a get out of hell free card and then they lived however the hell they wanted after that. But this is a call, a wake-up call. And if you hear the alarm of the Spirit going off in your heart and you say, I need to repent, Turn from my ways and follow Jesus. Every head bow with every eye closed. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want to know who I'm praying for. On the count of three, I just want you. Everyone's going to keep their head down. There's some people there. No looking around. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to just look up at me right where you're at. Make eye contact with me. One, two, three. Amen. 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 
Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, help us. The Lompoc campus as well. Those are making eye contact with Pastor Tyre. Here's the other thing. This is going to be a difficult one. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to do something that I don't usually ask. If you're one of those who looked at me, I'm going to pray for boldness. Here's what the end of this passage says. I will confess his name before my father. Here's what Jesus says. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Here's what I want you to do. If you're one of those, you say, I need to repent. I need to change my way. Here's the alarm. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up right at your seat, right where you're at. On the count of three. One. Two, three. Amen. The lawn poke cams just stand up right where you're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's say this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you're a good Savior. You die for me so I can live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me the right thing to do. Don't let me be a Christian in name only. but change me from the inside out. Jesus, I thank you for every person saying that prayer, Holy Spirit, the work that you're doing in their life. God, I thank you. Fill them with the Spirit of God that changes them. Not, not, uh, not a form of godliness, not cleaning their act up, but strapping up their boots and walking with Jesus. I thank you for those at the Lompoc campus who are standing there. I'm believing in faith. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for who you are and who you are to us. In Jesus' name. Will you stand to your feet and give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?